Hey, welcome to the Vine Church Podcast. We know you're going to be blessed as you listen to this amazing word today. Sit back and enjoy. We'll cut. We'll cut it before the cowbells kick in. That was all good and good. How was that? Two eighties for you? Too cheesy? No. Do you know that song? That song has a special place in the hearts and in the memories of Dunfermline fans of a certain vintage. Because after years of being in the basement of Scottish football, that was the song that belted out in the tannoy when there were successive promotions to the promised land of the Premier League. It's a soundtrack to transformation. <sighs> I'm looking up and I'm seeing that we've got the slides on, but it's actually there's one before that. But bother. Thanks again, Yaz. Good to see you. And good to see you. The only way is up. That's my title for today. So, we're in a season of transformation, and I'm talking about us as people, I'm talking about us as a church, I'm not talking about the pars, but we're in a series, a season of transformation. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. What version you got? (laughs) Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, verse 2. Many of us are familiar with this verse, the way that you think determines the way that you feel, and the way that you feel determines the way that you act. So if you want to change something in your life that you don't like, you don't start with your actions. You don't even start with your feelings. Start with your thoughts. Start with your thoughts. So if you change the way that you think, then you change the way that you feel. And if you change the way that you feel, you'll start to change the way that you act. Rick Warren puts it this way. He says, transformation changes us from emptiness to fullness, from defeat to failure. Faith, sorry, defeat and failure. Oh, I was off there. (laughs) Defeat and failure to faith and victory. That makes more sense. I've got the right version now as well. Anyway, we start with our thoughts. Transformation helps us to become all that God wants us to be. All that he saved us to be. Transformation is the key to spiritual health, to growth, to maturity. In fact, transformation is a sign of spiritual health and growth and maturity. Transformation begins with Christ on the cross. He took the punishment for all our sins. He died in our place. And he made it possible for us to draw near to God, to be close with him. The veil which separates was torn in two. We can come into God's presence. Transformation also ends with Christ. Those who are called according to his purpose are conformed into his image. God looks at us and sees Jesus. I need to be close to God. The closer I get to God, the more my life is going to be transformed. I know this in my life, and we can see it all through Scripture as well. When Paul finally met Jesus face to face, he was radically transformed from an extremist zealot, arguably a religious terrorist of his day, into the apostle of love. We still read his beautiful essay on love at weddings to this day. What transformation. We've then got Isaiah was transformed from a depressed recluse into a courageous person when he met with God, when he got close to God. Moses got so close to God that he was transformed in his appearance. He shone 
So I believe we all want to be close to God. We all want to be transformed. We all want to be changed. We wouldn't be here today if that wasn't the case. But the Bible says that we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've each turned to our own way. In other words, we tend to wander. We might have the desire at some point to be close to God and allow Him to transform us, but we have this tendency to wander, to drift off. We might mean well, we might start well, but we have a tendency to drift. But the closer we get to God, the more we're going to be transformed. So we need to talk about how we get close to God or how we stay close to God. And if we've fallen away from how we get back to God and to this relationship with God, the one that he intended us to have with him from the very beginning. Some of us can remember a time when we really felt God's presence. Maybe we still do. And we are close to God. And we can sense his friendship and his closeness. And there's a deep joy in our lives. But what if we've lost that or we've never found that? How do I get back to God if I've kind of wandered a bit? If I've kind of lost the spark? Because if I'm not close to God, I don't have the power to have transformation in my life. And I know I need him in my life. Jesus told the story of the prodigal son for this reason, although more accurately, I was saying to Aaron earlier on as well, more accurately, it's, it's the story of the loving father. It's really all about him. Please make a note to read it again. Luke 15 verses 11 to 24. Read it again this week because I know that you'll draw closer to him again as you read it. I love this story. It's so well known, yet it's incredibly powerful. It tells the story of how every one of us tends to wander away from our creator, wander away from the father who made us, wander away from the God who loves us. And the young man starts off saying to his wealthy dad, I want you to give me what's mine. It's all about me. Give me my inheritance now. And it's a very self-centered request. He's living a very self-centered life. And that's usually where we start in life. Give me my, give me my. I want it now. I need it now. Give me, give me, give me. That's often where we start off. And that's where the young guy in the story started off. And he packs his bags, takes the money, and he heads off for the, the bright lights in the big city. And there he wastes his money, the Bible tells us. He wastes his money, he wastes his time, he wastes his energy on wine and women. He might even also have wasted it on song. But he wastes everything. The money round runs out. It gets really messed up and he hits the skids. He becomes homeless. And then there's a famine in the land. So it's not just his tragedy anymore. He's part of a bigger mess. And nobody else is in indeed either. So nobody can give him a handout or a hand up even. He can't find a job. Things go from bad to worse. And finally, he finds a farm and he hires himself out to do the worst job on the farm slopping the pigs now he's a jewish kid that is not what you aspire to end up in in life that's probably the lowest job he could ever take on is slopping out the pigs he's not even supposed to touch pigs and he gets the worst job he could possibly get and he's slopping the pigs 
He gets so hungry and so desperate, he's even thinking about stealing the pig's food. He's hit rock bottom. He's up a certain creek without a, an instrument of forward propulsion. That's, <laughs> he's got nothing left. And at this point, the only way is up. He's hit the bottom. But then the Bible says he wises up. He comes to his senses. His dad's servants eat better than this, he thinks. What am I doing? He knows that he doesn't deserve his father's love. He's just wasted half of his dad's savings. Half of all that his dad's worked his whole life for. But he has a plan. It's an outside chance, but there's maybe a wee glimmer of something here. He's not going to go home and ask his dad to accept him back into the family. That'd be asking too much. But he's going to go home and ask him, could you give me a job? I'd rather be a servant in your house than starve to death far from home. That's how low he's come. And that's where the story changes. And it's important to notice the father's response. Luke 15, verse 20, I'll take it from here. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his sons, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Actually, that song we sang earlier on was brilliant. Reckless love. It's the reckless love of the father that's the star of the story today. It's the reckless love of the Father that transforms us and transforms our hearts and transforms our lives. It's His reckless love. So the Father's response. Notice, He didn't wait for the Son to come, to come all the way to Him. While He was still distant, He ran out. And from this story, we gain four insights into what we need to do to get back to God. I don't know where you are today. You might be far away from God. You maybe haven't been to church in years, or maybe you're a bit closer, or maybe you've been distant just for a week, or maybe you've just had one of these weeks where you don't really feel God's presence in your life, and we all long to be close to God. How do I get back to Him? Do these four things. This is like a pathway to spiritual transformation. Go over the next slide, please. The first thing we do in the next slide is we get fed up. I have to get fed up with my life. I have to get fed up with my circumstances. I get fed up with the way I've been living. I get fed up with the habits that I've formed. I have to get fed up with the way that I think. I'm not going to live like this anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't even like myself. I don't like the life that I'm living right now. And I'm tired of feeling distance from God. We've got to get desperate. The Bible says you've got desperate and hungry. We've got to get desperate and hungry. We've got to get anxious for change. Nothing happens till we get fed up. And in that passage of Scripture, it says he wasted it all 
He had nothing left. He got desperate and hungry. And then he came to his senses. And that's where the transformation starts, when we come to our senses. Are you there yet? Am I there yet? Are we desperate and hungry? Are we desperate and hungry? If not, it's okay. God will allow you just to stay where you are. And you maybe send a couple of little things into your life, which you maybe disrupt things a bit, and a bit of rain on your parade. And if that doesn't work, you maybe allow a little bit more rain. And if that doesn't work, you maybe just send a big massive storm. But he wants to get your attention. He wants to get your attention. And there's a reason for that. You've probably heard this one before. But God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. I'm sure you've heard that one before. I've said it myself. But I, I nicked it. So you must have heard it somewhere else as well. He loves you just as you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. He'll not let you waste your life. Because God does everything and everything that he does in your life, he does out of love. He doesn't want you to miss him. And he doesn't want you to waste your life. So the first step in transformation is to get disgusted, get discontent, get fed up with the way that you're living. There's a promise in Jeremiah 29, verse 13, says, God says this, You'll find me when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else. God's not going to reveal himself if I want it just to be a kind of casual thing, like a, like a hobby, like I'm a Christian hobbyist. Religion's one of the things that I do, amongst other things. He's not looking for that. He's looking for your heart. He's looking for everything. He's looking for all. He's looking for you. He loves you. He's looking, and he wants to be with you, not just part-time, not just sometimes. He wants you. He loves you that much. So when you get serious about finding me and you want it more than anything else, God says, that's when you'll, you'll find him. But you've got to get fed up first. That's the starting point. The only way is up. Next slide, please. So the next thing is own up. First, I get fed up. Second, then I own up. Well, own up to what? Going back to the story again, but also looking at our own lives. What we own up to is our sin. Not a trendy word, but an accurate one. Sin is simply just doing things our way and not paying any attention to God's way. Sin is living for ourselves first, putting ourselves first. Sin is disobedience. Maybe not trendy, but when, you're, when we're absolutely raw and absolutely real, if we think about it, sin comes into our lives. And it is our first and natural tendency. Anyway, we own up to our sin. By the way, this isn't a heavy thing. This is a releasing thing. This is not a heavy pressure, oh, we're all sinners hitting you. No, no, we, we, we know. If we're being honest, we know. We know. This is a releasing thing. Own up to the sin because God does something quite incredible with it. Okay? So own up to the sin. That's the second thing the young man in the story did. First he got fed up. Then verses 17 to 18, it says, when he came to his senses, he woke up. To live without God does not make sense. To live without the Father does not make sense. It's not rational. To live without the Creator who made you is not logical. It doesn't make sense. When he came to his senses, he said, I have sinned against God and you. He realizes that even when we sin against other people, ultimately we're sinning against God. So that's where we have to start there. Okay. Nothing's going to happen till we come to that stage. 
Stage two is you've got to own up. Need to face up to the fact that we've not been living God's way. I've been living my way. I've been doing it my way. Maybe for what we think are good intentions, but we've still been doing it our way in our strength. I've been doing it in a way that protects me from all my fears. It, you know, in a way that means I'm still in control of everything. Even though really I know that I can't control everything. I'm still trying to control it all. And I'm getting tired of holding on to the controls. So I own up. Own up to my sin. Come to my senses. And like the boy in the story, recognize I have sinned. And that's important because in Isaiah 59.2, says this, Your sins have separated you from your God and have hidden his face from you. Now, if we want to get close to God, we can't do that at the same time as we're separated from God. Stands to reason. Sins have separated us from God. Let's get something done about that. Have you ever prayed and felt like God was a million miles away? Or have you ever prayed and felt like there's something there, like a veil between me and God? I can't see God. I can't hear God. I can't feel God. Where does that come from? Your sins have separated you from your God, and he's hidden from you. That's where it comes from. It comes from sin, living self first. Now, Rick Warren says this. He said, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? God hasn't moved. God didn't move. God didn't go on holiday. God didn't go to a foreign country. God has always been there, and he's never not been there. He loves you unconditionally, but if you feel far from God, you're the one who moved. Makes sense. You move by giving your love to something else. And when you give your love to anything else, there's a word for that in the Bible. And the Bible calls it an idol. Money can be an idol. Success can be an idol. Popularity can be an idol. Family can be an idol. Football can be an idol. And these are not bad things. But they're just not deserving of first place in your life. So I own up to my sins. I own up to making selfish choices rather than following God's way. Sins have separated me from God. So the bottom line is, I'm as close to God as I choose to be. Let that one sink. When you're desperate, you don't just get fed up. You own up. And you say, I've got to know God. You're as close to God as you choose to be. This is how King David owned up. I'll go into the whole story, but David prayed this prayer in Psalm 51 after he committed adultery and killed the woman's husband. That's a pretty serious sin. This is what David prayed. Be merciful to me, O God, because of your constant love. Because of your great mercy, wipe away my sins. Wash away all my evil and make me clean. I recognize my faults and I'm conscious that I have sinned against you. Recognize my faults. Own up. Own up. That means just own up. Face up to sins. Own up to sins. I recognize my faults. But what is God's response when I own up and when I face up? Look at the next verse. Still in Psalm 51. The Lord says, no matter how deep the stain of your sins, 
I can remove it. I don't know what sins it is that's plaguing you at this moment. But David's were pretty big. This is what God says. And David was suffering under the weight of that. He felt it. He knew. And he needed closeness with God. This is what God says. No matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can remove it. I can make you clean as freshly fallen snow. Isn't that a beautiful verse? He says, no matter what you've done, and no matter who you've done it with, I can remove it. We need to develop the habit of a, a spiritual checkup. Just to keep this short account that we sometimes talk about with God. To keep close, to keep the relationship right. Another great verse, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's interesting, eh? So we come to God with the sin and the problem and the issue, and we feel bad. We feel it. I'm not, I'm not, by the way, I'm not here to make people feel bad in order to respond. That's not my thing here at all. What I'm saying is, I know, because I've lived, I'm a human too, and I know that when we do stuff, unless we're really off the chart, we feel bad. Okay? We feel bad. But this is what God does. Firstly, he, he removes the stain. And that's the other great thing. All we have to do is own up. Give it over to Him. And then the other thing is, lead me in the way everlasting. So we're not, we're not stuck in that situation. We move on. But the important thing is, we move on with God. We move on with God in relationship with Him. The Father who loves us, the Father with the reckless love who just wants to be close to His children. That's who we move on with. That's who does the hard part. That's who we move on with. Oh, I'm so excited. I have no idea where I am in my notes now. But that's good news. That is, that's good news for you as well. I'll be finished in 10 minutes. But first, first ever round of applause. But there's the thing. Let's just go. Right. We own up. Next, next slide, please. We'll rattle through this now. It's hard part's done. Next slide. What do we do? We give up. We give up. We get fed up. We own up. And we give up. Give up my life. Offer up my life. Offer up my total being to him. That's the third thing that the young man did. He got fed up. He came to his senses. He owned up. He said he sinned against God. And then he offered up. This is an interesting thing. It's maybe I'm, I'm not playing with words. Just listen. He says, give me my share at the start. But when he comes back, he says, make me a servant. He leaves saying, give me. But he comes back saying, make me. He's up for transformation. He's up for change. He realizes that he's come to the end of himself and there's nothing there. Make me rather than give me. And that's transformation. When a heart goes from being self-centered to God-centered, that's transformation. But transformation doesn't always happen overnight. And it's going to be a process. It's going to be happening in us for the rest of our lives. But it's a decision that starts the process. 2 Corinthians 3.18, another great verse. says, we reflect the Lord's glory and, be, and are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord. Being transformed. It's active and it's ongoing. Being transformed. 
being changed. Another wee thing is the New Testament, as a lot of you know, is written in Greek. And the word transformed in Greek is written metamorpho, metamorphosis. So the most common picture we have of metamorphosis is when a butterfly goes from being a caterpillar to a chrysalis, and from a chrysalis to a butterfly, a new creation. And that's what transformation is all about. It is metamorphosis. And God made you to be a butterfly. Even chunkier chaps like myself. God made us to be butterflies. Do you know why? Because he wants us to fly. He wants us to soar. God made you to be beautiful. But we've got to go through the transformation process. So we get fed up with the way that we've been living. We own up and get honest with God. We admit it. We've been living for ourselves. We're doing it our way. Then we give up. We surrender. We offer our lives to him. Make me. We offer it to him. Again, I'm quoting from Rick Warren, but he says this. Transformation is a process, but the starting point is what the prodigal son says, make me. That's offer up. Make me. Transform me. Change me. God, I don't want to live the rest of the way, my life, the way I'm living just now. Change me. I started this morning with um, Romans 12, 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But the full context of the verse is this. I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's no transforming till we offer up. But we offer up, we give up, we surrender in view of God's mercy. We don't give up because somebody's forcing us to do it. But we give up because we see God's mercy. We surrender to him. We put our trust in him. And we can see this in the father's response in the story. This is, this is the response. This is in view of God's mercy. This is what it is. When you turn to him, God does not hold back. He'll run out to meet you where you are. He's not waiting for you to do everything, crawl over broken glass to get to the door. He's been waiting for this moment in your life, and he runs out to you. He takes the initiative. He throws his arms around you. He loves you. Just as in the story, he says, I know you blew it, but, and this is it, this is the story, Quick, get the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Get the best robe. The best. Not just get a robe. Get the best robe. That's our father. Get my signet ring. Do you know why he says that? Some of you might know this. In those days, the signet ring was like your credit card. Just go and take the ring and you press it in the wax and that's, that's your seal, that's your sign. That's your approval. It's like your credit card. Okay? So what he's saying is, go and get my gold card and bring it to my son. This is the son who just blew half of his income. It's a clean slate. That's what he's saying. It's a clean slate. He trusts you. He believes in you. And he makes available to you all of his resources, God's resources, all of his resources he makes available to you. 
Now that's another sermon in itself. Maybe next time. But because you've turned back, God doesn't hold a grudge against all the mistakes you made. He holds a party. We come home to a celebration, not a condemnation. I think I can get anything else to rhyme there. No. That's good the way. You come home to a party. You're not coming home to a scalp over the back of the head. You're coming home. He's happy to see you, and he holds a party. That's how he feels about the relationship with us. He holds a party. God has a better plan for your life than you can imagine. Who knows that? Who knows that? Regardless of what stage you're at, there's more to come. So how do I get back to God? I get fed up. I own up. I give up. There's one more thing. Get the last slide on. Or the second last slide on. Lift up. What do I lift up? Lift up praise. Lift up praise. Say thank you. Praise and thanksgiving. Use them both. But lift up God. Celebrate his goodness. See, there's a party working both ways here. God's happy to see us. We're happy to see him, are we not? We're happy to be with him. Of course we are. Say thank you to God. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you, God, for your provision. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you, God, for your closeness. Lift up praise to God. He is good. He is good. Lift up God. When the son comes home, the father says, we're going to celebrate with a feast of eating and drinking. He was lost, now he's found. Let the party begin. Life becomes a party when life comes to transformation. Psalm 68, verse 4. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him. His name is the Lord. Here's a wee practical tip. It's nice to talk about spiritual stuff that's up here somewhere. Let's bring it to ground now. Here's a little practical tip. For your own transformation, start singing. And where better than at church? It's an opportunity you get every week. The Bible doesn't say your singing has to be good either. It just says make a joyful noise. You don't have to be on key. Make a joyful noise. Because... For your own transformation, you need to sing. Now, what are you talking about there, Stuart? Well, there's a global study carried out, I've read about, not that long ago, Swedish researchers, so you know it's good. They did a scientific study, <laughs> and they concluded that the habit of group singing, not singing by yourself, but the habit of group singing is good for your health. It's great therapy to sing with other people. It's good for your mental health. It's good for your emotional health. It's good for your social health. It's good for your physical health. All these different areas. They did an extensive study and they discovered that singing with other people lowers your blood pressure, releases endorphins, makes you feel good, improves your mood, builds your confidence, relieves loneliness, and releases negative emotions and stress. Whilst at the same time creating positive emotions. And it gets better. Oh, it does. It gets better. Another study showed that people who sing in worship each week live longer. So sing. 
It'll lower your blood pressure, release endorphins, improve your mood, build your confidence, relieve loneliness, relieve negative emotions and stress, and make you live longer. And the good thing is the longer life that you're getting is actually a good life, not the depressed one, but the good version. That's good. Sing. That's called transformation. Sing because the Bible tells us in Psalm 22, God inhabits the praises of his people. We get back to God through praise. That's where he lives. That's where we find him, enthroned on the praises of his people. Sing because God sings over you. There was a line in one of the songs earlier about that as well. God sings over you. Zephaniah 3 17 says this, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Sounds like a celebration to me. Sounds like a party. So I started off with the title, The Only Way Is Up. But when we make it back to God, and on the way we realize this, the only way is uplifting God. And I'm going to finish there in a moment. Can I get my last slide on, please? Just as a wee postscript to the message. I started with the only way is up. It turns out Yaz herself was on a journey as she sang that song. On Friday morning, when I was looking for the clip that we played at the very start, I came across this article from, I think it was Daily Express, two or three years back, and it's an article about her transformation. Can anyone make out the headline? The only way is uplifting God. Same conclusion we've just come to. The only way is lifting God up. That's the way to transformation. Okay, let's stand. Let's get the band back up again. And we're going to pray now, and it's going to be a prayer of faith to respond to our Father this morning. And if you'd like to come home to your Father this morning and step into a new life and a new relationship with Him through Jesus, please pray this prayer with me. And I'd ask that everyone else here also, eyes closed, would join in with me this morning. Let's close our eyes. Let's close our eyes. This is an invitation for you. Let's close our eyes. Father God, thank you that you love me even though I've not loved you. I know that I've lived my life my way and I've left you out. I know that this has stopped me from having a friendship with you. Please forgive me for going my own way and doing the wrong things that I've done. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross and came back to life so that I could be forgiven. He took my place. I commit my life to you because I want to live my life your way. I choose this day to follow you and your plan for my life. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior and ask you to send your Holy Spirit to help me. This I pray with all my heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've prayed that prayer today from your heart with your eyes closed, God's heard your prayer. But with every eye closed, please, and out of respect for each other and for this moment, if you've prayed that prayer for the first time this morning and asked that you could come home to God your Father, or have prayed it after some time away, 
but want to make a fresh start, please raise your hand. With every eye closed, please raise your hand to acknowledge to yourself and before God the decision you've made. We'll just take a moment.